What's going on, DMV? Happy Friday to you. Hope everybody's doing well out there tonight. 106.7 The Fan is on your AM, FM dial. We're on the Odyssey app, and we are on the stream at thefandc.com. However, you're tuned in tonight. We appreciate you hanging out with us for just a bit. I'm Danny Noakes. We got Caitlin in studio producing the show, and we're with you up until 10 o'clock this evening. So strap yourselves in. We've got some Wizards basketball getting set to tip off at 7. We'll do some score board check-ins for that game and a lot of football to talk as we move into another weekend full of college football and the NFL and six days away from Thanksgiving. 800-636-1067 is the MGM National Harbor listener line. Feel free to hit us up there. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter. I am at Danny Noakes. You can also tweet the station at 1067 the fan. Yeah, we're still currently on Twitter, and we will be for as long as we possibly can be. Who knows exactly how long that will be? Anyone will be on Twitter for that much longer. But, uh, hey, it's been fun if it is the end, and you can still get in touch with us tonight that way. It's a great way to do so. And we mentioned the Wizards game that's coming up here at 7 o'clock. We've got a lot of NFL action to cover. We're starting with the Commanders. And coming up at 7 o'clock, we're going to do a little college football with my buddy John Laser, who is serving as the play-by-play broadcaster this weekend for the number one Georgia-Kentucky matchup down there in the SEC. So I'm looking forward to catching up with Lays. But we open, as I said, with the Commanders. And a big opportunity ahead for Washington this weekend. Obviously, they play in Houston against a bad Texans team coming up on Sunday, 1 o'clock kickoff. Houston just 1-7-1 this season. Certainly not a game, though, to take for granted. None are in the NFL, right? And this is a big two-game stretch for the Commanders, considering... They're going to be favored for each of the next two weeks over both Houston, which they'll play on the road, and then they'll come back to FedEx Field next weekend for a matchup with the Atlanta Falcons, which just so happens to fall on November 27th, which in 2022 will somehow be the 15-year anniversary of the passing of the great Sean Taylor. My favorite Redskin of all time, my favorite football player of all time. I know that a lot of folks in and around the DMV share the same sentiment. So that is going to be a very, very, very emotional day and probably an emotional game. And you just hope, certainly that the commanders aren't overlooking Houston right now, but that the emotions wouldn't get the best of the commanders in that game. But we're, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves right there because Houston's the team that's coming up next, and they're led by Damian Pierce, their rookie running back out of Florida. He's a stud already. 772 yards on the ground this year, three scores. They feed him the ball quite a bit. And now they did just pick up Eno Benjamin, who was very surprisingly released from the Arizona Cardinals earlier this week. And... If you have been watching Hard Knocks, obviously the Arizona Cardinals, the subject of this year's in-season Hard Knocks, but Eno Benjamin stepped in for an injured James Conner and actually acclimated himself quite well. He had a couple of pretty good games, scored a couple of touchdowns, ran for near 300 yards, but apparently there was somewhat of a dust-up on the sideline this past game, which saw the Arizona Cardinals actually win. They beat the LA Rams. The Injured L.A. Rams, a team that is nowhere near the level that they were competing at last year when they were the Super Bowl champions. Obviously, the Rams will not be getting back there this year. They'll be lucky just to get back to the playoffs. And the NFC West is not an easy division to come out of, considering you you got the Cardinals. They they just beat L.A., but Seattle right now is the team to beat, and not to mention San Francisco 
with a 5-4 and four record. They play on Monday night. They're nothing to be taken lightly either. Now, back to the Texans, though, and I know it's easy to forget about them because, yeah, they've been bad this year, but lone win, a 13-6 victory over Jacksonville. Same team that the Commanders have a win over this year. It was back in Week 5 for Houston. And then, sure, you all remember the Texans actually, surprisingly, were able to tie the Indianapolis Colts in the season opener. And that was kind of our first look at Indianapolis and our first chance to see that they were not going to be even the team that they were last year, which had a chance to make the playoffs under quarterback Carson Wentz and ultimately not able to get there. But coming into this weekend, the commanders back to 500 at five and five. So it's a big opportunity to get another win against a Texans team that they are no doubt more talented than now. Commanders got back to 500 with a tremendously big upset win over the Philadelphia Eagles on Monday night. It ended the Eagles' undefeated season, and it was beautiful. I now get more satisfaction, for me personally, more satisfaction out of beating Philadelphia, and that's across all sports, but particularly football here, I'm referring to there being more satisfaction for me out of beating Philly than Dallas. And I've really grown to hate Philly, their teams, their awful fan base. Still love beating Dallas, don't get me wrong, but honestly, they don't scare me. They haven't scared me in a long time. The last ta- the last Dallas team that worried me was the team led by Des Bryant and Tony Romo. They went to the divisional round in the 2014 season. January 2015, when they actually played the game in Green Bay, you remember Des Bryant makes the catch, it gets overturned, it's negated, and more or less changed the outcome of that game because it looked like Dallas, if that was called a catch, was going to win. And obviously, the rules were changed after that, but not before the Cowboys had already been eliminated. But since then, they've had some good teams early years under Dak and and when they first drafted Zeke, but they haven't really made any noise, even even when they've been able to get to the playoffs. So I'm not scared of Dallas. They, They don't seem to be able to, similarly to the Commanders and Washington football team and the Redskins over the last 20 to 30 years. It's a comparison that I've drawn several times on the air, and it's because it's a fact. Jerry Jones and Dan Snyder are spitting images of one another, right? Dan might as well be little Jerry because he's trying to emulate Jerry. And Jerry is said to have taken him under his wing. But they're two incredibly large narcissists that can't fathom anybody else getting credit for their team's success. And obviously, that's what led to Jimmy Johnson leaving the Dallas Cowboys. And they haven't seen any extended or sustained success since Jimmy Johnson left. Now, Some people, though, I'm hearing they're saying that the win over Philadelphia is actually a bad thing for the Commanders because at 5-5, and there's really still only a slim chance that they end up making the playoffs. And most folks don't believe that this is a Super Bowl team, so if you make the playoffs, what's the point? And then on top of that, a lot of people are saying that Washington could benefit from a higher draft pick. Top 10 would be better than picking 16 or 17, which is right in the middle of that first round. And it seems like the commanders have found themselves right in the middle there for the last several years. Makes sense because they've been right around 500 for the last several years under Ron Rivera. And that's true. A top 10 pick would be better. Certainly agree with the notion of a higher draft pick being significant. Yes. Okay. But see, I don't see eye to eye with you people that rather would rather see this team lose and end up higher in the draft because, and I'm going to reiterate this all night long. I will argue with whoever wants to go toe to toe with me on this. Okay. At the end of the day, Washington needs a long-term solution at quarterback. 
Who doesn't? (laughs) Most of the NFL still needs a long-term solution at quarterback. We know that Carson Wentz is not going to be here next year, right? They'd be crazy to even throw him out there again this year. More on that later. But especially since the commanders can let Carson Wentz go with little to no penalty after the season, there's really no reason to hold on to him after this year. You had the injury, yes, but they weren't a winning football team when he was in the game. He was two and four. Now, Heineke is also going to be a free agent after this season. So do you re-sign him? I don't know. He certainly has played well so far, three and one in four starts, but if they don't make the playoffs, do you bring him back? You're probably going to have to find another starting quarterback next year. It's not a guarantee, but it is possible, if not likely, right? Now, we know that picking in the top five or even the top ten doesn't guarantee you a quarterback for one, but it also doesn't guarantee you a quarterback will succeed even if he's drafted that high, correct? Because y'all are telling me that we need the higher draft pick to go and get a better quarterback, but we can name all sorts of examples of how that failed, right? Ryan Leaf, Jamarcus Russell, Andrew Luck, RG3, Johnny Football, Baker Mayfield, Mitch Trubisky, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen. Should I keep going? Oh yeah, Andrew Luck's on that list, people. Andrew Luck was great. He's the one that stands out here. Why is he on the list? Because they couldn't protect him. They couldn't protect him. He had to retire because he was so beat up and so sick of taking hits because his offensive line couldn't protect him that he didn't want to play anymore. The commanders aren't bottom dwellers. Not right now. They're not Houston. They're not Indianapolis. They're not the Saints. They're not Jacksonville. All of which are teams that are much further from being a contender than Washington is. The bottom line is... Your draft position has much less to do with how your draft picks succeed when you compare it to the people that are making the decisions, right? And the decisions that are actually being made. If you go into the top five, someone has to make a good decision. You need to draft Justin Herbert over Chase Young. There's an example right there. It happened recently. It's the same thing for the Wizards. The Wizards and the Commanders do not draft well. Neither one of them do. They haven't in my lifetime. I mean, when you look at the Wizards, the Wizards only have had two guys that have been extended contributors to the franchise for more than a couple of years at a time. Brad and John. Is Hachimura one of those guys? He's certainly not elite. He's not discussed in trade value situations like Bradley Beal is. Is he worth anything? Probably not. He was a first round pick. It doesn't matter where you pick if your team doesn't know how to draft. And that's the bottom line for both the commanders and the wizards. They're not good at drafting. So don't give me the tanking BS that winning these games is pointless when they're not going to go and win a Super Bowl. Well, they can't draft. They don't make smart decisions in the draft at least 50% of the time. So you start to get some people that make better decisions when it comes to draft time in the building. Then you might actually start to see some change. It has much less to do with where you pick. All right, several calls came into question towards the end of that game on Monday night. We'll talk about them coming up next, Commanders, Eagles, and we'll continue to look forward to the Texans and the Commanders matchup in Houston on Sunday before we talk to John Laser. A little college football coming up at the top of the hour. Stick around. You're listening to 106.7 The Fan.
little over 10 minutes from now, we'll be talking to John Laser of National Sports Network. Lays has the call of number one Georgia and Kentucky down in the SEC tomorrow. He'll do that game alongside former Virginia Tech standout Luther Matty. We'll get Lays' thoughts on some other college football questions as well. Before we go any further, though, big shout out to our guy, Captain Todd, who always tunes into the show, even on a Friday night. Todd is listening over in Houston. Buddy, we appreciate you tuning in, my friend. Hey, Todd's a big Florida State fan, and this week the Knolls are back into the top 25. We're going to do a full segment of college football here coming up. After we talk to Lays, we'll look at some of the bigger games on the college football schedule tomorrow. Number 20, Florida State will be hosting Louisiana. That's Louisiana Lafayette, for those of you who remember them by that name. Now, mention that there were several calls that sort of came into question towards the end of this Eagles-Commanders game on Monday night. And I just wanted to get some quick thoughts in on this. We're only going to be here for about another six minutes and then flip it over to the 7 o'clock hour, talk delays, and we'll put the Eagles game behind us before we really look forward to the Texans game and some other games across the National Football League and some other news as well. Now, two calls in particular towards the end of this game went against the Philadelphia Eagles. And as you would expect, Philadelphia fans were absolutely beside themselves on all social media and did all sorts of complaining. There was a missed face mask call that ended with Dallas Goddard fumbling and the commanders getting the ball back. There was also the play at the end of the game where Heineke took a knee and then got hit late. It was on a third down, drew a personal foul call on Brandon Graham. It was an automatic first down, and that essentially ended the game. So let's start with the face mask, right? Because what else can you do there? You know, they missed it. The refs missed that one. There's no question. I definitely get the frustration there, and it would have still been Eagles ball, obviously, if they did catch that face mask. And I think any, by the way, this might be a a hot take, I guess, but I'm firmly in the camp of personal fouls, pass interference, any of those plays should be reviewable. And I know it might slow down the game. Here's the thing, though. These types of penalties are far too consequential to not be able to review them, especially the pass interference calls. We already have a great example sitting right in front of us of how a non-reviewed personal foul call may have cost a team at least some points, if not the game. You have an argument there, but... The pass interference calls are absolutely ridiculous that you can't review them because they're by far the most important calls made in pro football. They can literally cost your team any amount of yardage and an automatic first down. I mean, half the time the calls are made, the quarterback is just chucking the ball downfield, hoping that his wide receiver can draw a pass interference. It has nothing to do with him actually catching the ball or making a play on the ball, right? He could even flop and draw a pass interference call. That happens all the time because the refs give the benefit of the doubt to the offense pretty much every single time. And again, offenses in the NFL already have absolutely every possible advantage over a defense. So when you make a pass interference call on a 50-yard pass and it costs a team 50 yards and all of a sudden they're on the goal line in one play despite there actually being no completion and... It's a questionable call. It's a judgment call. So how is that fair to the defense when it's entirely up to what the referee sees? He might not get the clear picture. And guess what, y'all? 
There was an egregious pass interference call against the commanders and Benjamin St. Juiced on Monday night that gave the Eagles a touchdown. I was literally giving you an example right there. No one seems to be talking about that, right? Everyone's talking about the missed face mask. They're talking about Heineke taking a knee, getting hit, and the personal foul call there. The refs essentially gave Philadelphia a touchdown on a bad pass interference call that also should have been reviewed. Seven points. Did the commanders turn around and take that fumble off the missed face mask on Goddard and put seven points on the board? No, they did not. So look, I I get it. The missed face mask call, I'm there. I understand. But considering the commanders only got three out of that while the Eagles got the touchdown off the, the, the terrible pass interference call, let's call that even, all right? In fact, Philly still got some of the benefit of the doubt there. And as for the hit on Heineke that sealed the game, well, that was just the right call. <laughs> Anyone that's saying that that was the wrong call is ignorant, ill-informed, does not watch football. The refs have been calling this all year long for several years now. You can't hit the quarterback if he goes down. If he takes a knee, if he slides, you can't hit him. It's the most obvious rule in the book these days. They protect the quarterback. Don't hit him. Don't hit him when he goes down. Someone replayed it too. And it, Brandon Graham was a good seven feet away from Heineke when he went to, when he went to his knee. He, was, he had plenty of time to pull up. Come on. It doesn't matter if you think it's soft. It's in the rule book. It's literally in the rule book. They, they, they couldn't. They, it was the easiest call they made all night. And, and you know what? Brandon Graham came out and said it was the right call. So end of story. You lose. Undefeated season over. The worst part about the, undece- the undefeated season being over, and I just couldn't stomach an undefeated Philadelphia season, but it's also pretty annoying to have to consistently watch the 72 Dolphins celebrate their undefeated season when... I mean, 50, it was 50 years ago. It was 50 years ago that, uh, that that Super Bowl happened. And they played, what, 14 games that season. So the Patriots, when they went to the Super Bowl undefeated, obviously, and lost to the Giants, they were 18-0. and 0. So they played five more games than the Dolphins, which to me is more impressive in a much more competitive National Football League where players are bigger, faster, stronger, and... Yep, more talented. I, it's just, I get it. You celebrate it because you're the only ones in history to do it, but the NFL is not anywhere close to what it was back then. Throw Larry Zonka out in today's NFL and, and see how effective he is. You could say that about so many backs and so many wide receivers that played out there and had not even close to the same success in, in this NFL. But no more undefeated season for Philly. And they got to pick up the pieces and get back to it. And speaking of getting back to it, we're going to step aside and we'll take a quick break. And when we return, we'll get back to talking some college football. John Laser, play-by-play broadcaster, calling the Georgia-Kentucky game is going to join us. And then at 7.15, we'll continue our discussion on college football. We'll take a look at some of the bigger games across the schedule this weekend. Stick around. You're listening to 106.7 The Fan.